Hey Spirit fans, this is Seth Askelson, and I hope you are enjoying every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. We are looking forward to bringing you a wide range of guests as we ramp up to the fall season and want you to tune in to each episode to get the best insight and stories from all Spirit programs. As our guest list grows on the podcast, so will our ways you can tune in. The OUAZ Athletics Podcast is now available on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and of course, on the website at ouazspirit.com slash podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe to let us know who you want to hear next and to never miss the next installment. Those four great platforms are where you can find our brand new episodes every week the moment they are available. Once again, you can now find every episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast on Spotify, Google Play Music, Apple Podcasts, and at OUAZSpirit.com slash podcasts. Welcome in again, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Seth Askelson, and thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the OUAZ Athletics Podcast. My guest today, the head coach of track and field as well as cross country, Kyle Will. Kyle, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, Seth. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I think we've all been through some interesting times lately, right? The lockdown with the coronavirus reaching now into to month four, starting to creep into month five as we start to near August here. How have you been able to stay safe? And, and for you and your family, how have things been? Um, you know, it's been good. Uh, we've been staying safe largely by just staying at home. Um, you know, we haven't done a whole lot. I uh, haven't gone anywhere really. Um, working at home has been uh, interesting. Um, you know, as it's dragged on, it's gotten a little lonely at times, <laughs> a little isolating. But, um, you know, it's allowed me to stay home with my kids and, um, you know, help them. So, uh, it's been good. We, um, you know, I try to get outside. I obviously I'm, I'm trying to get out and run and stay healthy and, and ride my bike and get fresh air, but we're largely staying away from crowds and, um, just kind of sticking close to home and taking care of work and taking care of family. Well, I know for you and your athletes, uh, staying away from crowds, especially in the running events is definitely something you, you'll, you enjoy doing. So, um, hopefully your team is staying safe as well. And, and when you talk about track and field, it's a sport and, where it's not like football, like basketball, where, you know, you're doing film room and you're doing, you know, you're writing a playbook, you know, there's different ways to train, different ways to practice for you during this quarantine and during this time apart, how are you making sure your athletes are staying up on things and how are you doing coaching from a distance? Yeah, great question. And, and in a lot of ways, I've been very fortunate and feel blessed because our sport is one that's a little bit easier to navigate through this because we don't have to sit in film rooms and, and we don't have to, you know, work through plays on a field or, or all of that. It, it, it's basically just staying fit. Um, so it, it's been easier, and I think even moving forward, like, like I was talking to Coach Moss this afternoon, and, um, you know, as we bring kids back over the next few weeks, it's much easier for, for me to meet my team at a park and be socially distanced and then go for a run than worry about having to meet in a gym or in a confined space. So, um, you know, over the summer uh, – I didn't really start any kind of official coaching with our team until June 1. Um, I kind of took the approach that had we done a normal outdoor season, uh, we would have been finishing up around mid to late May. And then my, the way I coach, I then give kids a, a good two-week break of nothing anyway. So it's around June 1 when I would start. Uh, I've been emailing workouts for them. 
um, just trying to encourage them to get out and do their, their thing, do their workouts. Um, you know, the hard part for a lot of them is um, in some counties, um, some states, they couldn't get on tracks. You know, so if I had them doing any kind of a track workout, they didn't have access to a track. <clears throat> so it's largely just become, a, um, you know, get out and do what you can and, and use my workouts right now as a guide. Um, stay fit, stay healthy. The track and field kids, because we're still a ways away from track season, uh, I'm less concerned about them doing track specific stuff. Um, more concerned just about staying fit. Um, the cross country kids, it's a little more concerning because, uh, you know, things go the way they're planned. We're due to compete September 5th. Um, so we're going to have a quick ramp up. So if they haven't done stuff through the summer, it'll show when they get here on campus. Now, I think for a lot of people outside of track and field, uh, including me, kind of, I guess for lack of a better term, ignorant people, should we say, maybe wouldn't know the difference between, you know, say you wanted somebody to run 100 meters or 200 meters on a track, you know, and, and but why is it so important that those kids are able to use a track? Obviously for an event like the hurdles and, and things of that nature, it makes sense. But what's the difference between training on a track for a running event and training on grass or just a street for a running event? Yeah, um, honestly, Seth, for this time of year, I don't care. Um, it's more of a mental thing for track athletes. So typically, if you're a track athlete and you love track, even if you run cross and do track that tracks your thing, you're used to the preciseness of a track. You're used to, say, Coach, I'm going to run my 100 meters, and, and it's marked. I know where 100 meters is. Um, and, okay, Coach, you want me to run 400-meter repeats? Well, that's one time around the track. That's easy. I don't really want that kind of preciseness right now because it just becomes too much of a slog for these kids mentally more than anything. But when I started sending out workouts, I got those kind of questions like, coach, I can't get on a track. How am I supposed to do my four and I need to repeat? And my answer was, well, they're not race pace. So I want them, you know, 85% of race pace. What time would that roughly be if you were to run it on a track? Okay. It's going to be 80 seconds. Well then go find a grass field and run hard for 80 seconds and then do your recovery and then do it again. And it's just a mind shift for a lot of the track kids because they're just not comfortable with that. But in all reality, running on grass or running on dirt, it's going to make them stronger when we get to the track anyway. So you don't have the same kind of return in the grass. It's not hard surface. Um, so it causes your body to work harder. Your muscles get stronger. So really, there's benefits. Right? Um, so in some ways, like I think we'll be stronger because of it. Um, you know, Wade Van Niekerk, who was the um, world record holder in the 400 meter for a while out of South Africa, he trained on a grass track on purpose um, for that reason. So... I see value in it. It's just a mind shift for the kids that are used to the preciseness of running on the track. Yeah. It's almost like practicing, you know, if you're playing basketball in your gym or, or on the field, right. It's like you said, it's a mental thing. You get to see exactly what it's like. Um, and I'm sure, you know, for kids growing up, I mean, you mentioned off air that you played a lot of sports growing up when you're trying to measure out 10 yards for a football field or things like that. It, it can be tedious and, and a little mind numbing. So Definitely trying to measure that out for the track. I mean, hey, the city of Surprise got um, big, uh, big open campus, so maybe we could ask them to put down some meter marks for us around. Around, I would there. love it, and I've actually thought about doing that. Like, there's spots around town where I could go out with some um, spray chalk and, and you know do my markers or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it's challenging. Like I have, we do acceleration development, which is working on just that first you know 40 meters of speed and. I've had kids do that. I'm like, coach, what, how do I measure 40 meters? I'm like, that's yeah, just kind of walk it off. You know, it doesn't have to be exact. But um, yeah, it's 
it'd be like telling your basketball kid to go to a, a local park um, and shoot hoops where there's no three-point line, where there's no – and tell him to just practice his shots. And a, a true basketball kid would be like, oh, no, I need to know where that three-point line is. Well, no, not necessarily. Just get used to, you know. So same kind of mindset, just getting them out of their comfort zone, I think. Yeah, and, I mean, sports, especially at the college level, when you're competing, it's about getting out of your comfort zone. And I think um, for coaches in, in terms of getting out of their comfort zone, I mean, you're coaching three sports at the collegiate level at, at one time. I mean, you know, indoor track and field, outdoor track and field, cross country for both men's and women's. For you, how do you balance all of that? I mean, you're essentially handling six programs at once and seasons are overlapping and, and things like that. How are you able to handle all that? And kind of what process do you take through, you know, the nine, 10 month school year and, and different seasons to make sure everything works out well? Yeah. Great question. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I first got here, I, I had uh, some help. I had a full-time assistant um, and a grad assistant that were, was helping me and um, that helped I mean, that made it a little bit easier, certainly as I transitioned um, onto staff last fall. But, um, you know, now largely since our shutdown, it, it's pretty much been just me. And um, it has been a little bit of a challenge. Um, I, I kind of try to take it as my cross kids are priority because their competitive season comes first. So, you know, let's make sure I, I deal with that. Um, and then I've got a program, Seth, that really I'm trying to build um, and bring in good kids. So, um, I've honestly probably spent more time recruiting and trying to build my team than I have the coaching piece lately. Um, hopefully here in a few weeks that starts to change and I get to do a little more of the coaching and preparation. Um, and yeah, it is, it's definitely a balance. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but uh, you know, it's just, um, it's having a, a good plan, I think is the best way to describe it. You know, you can't just wing it. Um, and I plan out my season from, like the whole year in advance. So I started outdoor nationals in 2021 and I come backwards from there. Um, and I know every week what we should be doing and I know what the sprinters should be doing and I know what the jumpers are and the distance kids. And so having that plan periodized and programmed out um, makes it fairly easy. Um, you know, then really I just have to look at it almost a day at a time and go, okay, you know, this week, here's my theme. So what do I want to do today? Um, and then I think the, the bigger, challenge right now for us as coaches is just keeping our kids engaged um you know because they're all sitting at home too isolated and and wondering are they going to be on campus are we going to compete all that kind of stuff so just trying to build that community and keep them excited about what's coming even though we don't really even know what that is so this season for you um really showing those results and, and showing the success you're trying to build uh, for Michael Williams, he became the first uh, OUAZ track and field All-American in the indoor. Um, what was that like, uh, not only for you as a coach, but for him to uh, earn that, that All-American nomination and, and bring that distinction as the first to OUAZ track and field? You know, I was super excited for him. He's a great kid, um, and, and he was super pumped. I think he was disappointed, though, in, in his results, in all honesty. Um, he went into that meet knowing that uh, – if he were to jump his best, he could win. Um, and he didn't jump his best, but to still walk away eighth place and, and All-American status, first ever for OUAZ, I think was a huge accomplishment. Um, he was super hungry for outdoor season uh, and, and was hoping to kind of redeem himself a little bit. And unfortunately, couldn't do that, but he is going to come back. Um, so he'll be back. Uh, I'm actually going to kind of take advantage of him and use him kind of as a, a player coach 
Um, but then he'll be jumping for me in outdoor and, and I have no doubt he'll, uh, he'll do awesome, uh, and get to that national meet for outdoor. And he's a seven, one or seven, two high jumper if he puts everything together. Um, so I, I'm super excited. You know, coach Baker was his, uh, his event coach. Um, and coach Baker did a great job with him. They had a great relationship. Um, moving forward, I've got a, a new GA coming in. That's got a great history as a jumps coach. <clears throat> so I, I think, um, Sometimes new approaches and new mindsets can help athletes just kind of get to that next, you know, get over that little hump. So I'm pumped for Mike. Uh, I think he'll have a great, great outdoor season. And um, it was just cool for me to, you know, I can't even really take um, credit for Mike. So as a head coach, it's awesome to say I had an All-American, but, um, you know, it's the kids that do it. They put in the work. Um, so I, I'm just more pumped for him and, and thankful that he gets to come back and have an outdoor and see what we can do this, uh, this spring in the outdoor. As you mentioned, I mean, he could get to seven one seven two uh, next year in terms of the high jump. The jump that got him to All-American status was uh, one one-hundredth of a meter off from what he had accomplished at the NCCAA National Championship that did win in the National Championship uh, the year before. That's a, a half inch off, so... Uh, he's getting closer, and I know uh, I'm personally excited to see him bring home uh, uh, the first NAIA national championship at minimum in, in track and field coming up next year. And, um, I mean, for you, you talked about, you know, maybe you're not um, as much of a jumps coach, you know, as you said, maybe that's not necessarily your specialty. But, uh, I mean, when you look at your bio um, from, from what you did, you coached a lot. But before that, um, you owned a personal training studio called Willpower Training Studio, uh, you helped a lot of athletes run. Now, you and I talked about this a little bit, but let the OUAZ uh, faithful know, it says here you've uh, include, you know trained champions that have won in age groups in the 2007 Xterra Triathlon, the 2009 World Triathlon, and the 2010 Boston Marathon. Now, I think the most interesting one is the 2010 Boston Marathon. Who did you train, and, and what was that experience like for that marathon? Yeah, it's um, pretty phenomenal. Keith, Keith Syme is a, a friend and a client. Um, he's uh, turning 86 here soon. Um, so whatever his age was then, you know, uh, pretty phenomenal. But, um, yeah, the guy, uh, former Marine, um, just hardcore. He's still competing. I still coach him. Um, he was gearing up this summer to, to do the um, U.S. National and the World uh, Masters Track Championships. Um, he's achieved All-American status from the 100 meters up to the marathon. Um, just pretty cool to be a part of that process and walking through that at that age. I mean, so many of us are thankful to still be running, you know, in our 40s and 50s or whatever. And for him to still be doing it at, at 75 up now to 86 is, is pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. I mean, I, I've, been, I've been blessed to be able to coach some phenomenal kids and some phenomenal athletes. And uh, I'm not a coach that really focuses on results. Um, I just love seeing kids have success, whatever it is. And, um, you know, for some of them, it's clearing seven feet for the first time. For others, it's winning their age group. Um, you know, and for others, it's winning national championships. So uh, I, I've been very, very blessed to be able to work with a lot of great people over the years, for sure. Yeah, if I can even walk to the fridge at 86 years old, I'll feel like I deserve a medal, let alone competing for world championships in, in track and field and triathlon. So, I mean, training a lot of great athletes, as you said, uh, from, from all ages. And, um, I mean, when you look at the coaching accomplishments you put together, I think pretty interesting, uh, considering your background in terms of what, you know, how you came about it in college. You and I, again, talked off-air a little bit about this, but 
when did you first get into triathlon and, and into running and, and how did you really fall in love with, with the sport? Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up a, a baseball and soccer player, um, and absolutely love those sports and, and had dreams of playing for the New York Yankees. Hopefully I don't offend anybody out there. Um, but once I started junk throw, you know, curveballs or whatever, I just could not hit. So, um, a high school, I, I actually lived with a family and, uh, the, the adult male in the family got into triathlons and kind of got me into it. Um, so I started doing that in high school uh, and then got to college and uh, actually started the CSU, Colorado State University um, Triathlon Club. It still exists today. Um, they actually are national ranked, or at least they have been over the last few years. Um, and it was great. It was awesome. Um, I actually talked to the cross-country coach about maybe walking on, and, and he kind of scared me away talking about how many miles they were running. Um, so I just focused on triathlon and, and it was one of those where um, I kind of discovered I had a little bit of running talent through that. Um, I'd come out of the, the water, the swim portion of the triathlon and be kind of in the bottom half. I'd make up some time in the bike and then I'd get on the run and, and I would, you know, pass 30, 40% or more of the people ahead of me. Um, and generally that's the toughest transition, getting off the bike and being able to run. So just through that, I discovered I had a little bit of talent um, as a runner and, and then kind of focused more and more on that uh, and have competed, you know, fairly well in my age group and, and um, kind of in open competitions in my 20s and 30s and, and just really fell in love with the sport. Um, I love the fact that it's, uh, it's very individual, um, that it's, uh, you know, you can have success um, and winning isn't necessarily success. Just, you know, as I said, growing as a person and pushing yourself to, to new PRs and um, new events like you know I ran an ultra marathon a couple of years ago and never would I ever thought I'd run a 50 kilometer race in the woods and trails and um, you know so just breaking some of those barriers it's just a great sport for that and um, learn a lot of life lessons in running I believe um, and then through that and then becoming I was a certified strength and conditioning coach still am uh, and owning my personal training studio um, just being able to, to, to touch lives and to develop that coaching kind of mindset is really, I fell in love with coaching more than just track and field or cross country. Um, I love coaching. I love helping people. I love, um, you know, helping them improve their lifestyle and their, um, their lives and, and reach new goals and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been a journey, certainly non-traditional for a lot of college coaches. Um, you know, most, uh, most head college coaches of the track and cross country program competed collegiately and uh, I kind of came a different way. Yeah, I think running is one of those sports you see a lot where, particularly marathons, with people in, in weight loss journeys or personal fitness journeys where that's, that's a huge milestone that's really celebrated. Do you think that because running, especially distance running, is, is so difficult and really isn't meant for the human body that because those, those goals are, are so hard to reach that it really isn't about winning it? this sport is, is about breaking those barriers. And, and do you think that's why so many people try and jump into it? Because it's, it's not basketball where, okay, we got to win this game. It's look, if you finish, that's something that's very, very successful and, and something to hold up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the running, um, the craze started probably back in the eighties, but in the last 10 years, it has just taken off. Um, and, and marathons and ultra marathons are at their all time high. Um, and it is because it's something that, just finishing something is an accomplishment for a lot of people and it might be a 5k but you know going from maybe overweight and diabetic or whatever to being able to finish a 5k a three mile run um, 
is a huge accomplishment for people. So you're right. You don't have to rely on a team to win to view it as success. You know, I mean, if you're on a basketball team and you guys lose a game, most coaches aren't going to tell you that, yeah, that was a success. It was, a, you know, um, but if you're a, a runner and you go and you complete a race you've never completed before, or if you run a 10K just a tiny bit faster, that's a success. Um, you know, and even like my friend Keith, um, as he's gotten older, he's complained a little bit because he's not running necessarily faster. And I have to remind him all the time, like, Keith, you're still running, you know, and, and you're running the same times at 85 that you ran at 80. That's huge. Um, and I said, how many people are in your age group? And, you know, there might be two or three. Like, why do you think there's only two or three? <laughs> the fact is you're one of those two or three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, running is one of those where you can have success at any level. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's open for anybody out there to be successful if they want to be. Yeah, I can almost guarantee your friend Keith at 85 would uh, put a few miles in front of me at, at 23 years old in, in terms mm -hmm. of the running circuit. So, like you said, uh, something to be, you know, very accomplished with and, and feel good about. And um, for you, I mean – with your experience in college where you wanted to walk on and, and maybe, you know, the coach was not as open to the idea and, and tried to scare you off, that might sour things for people in terms of, you know, getting into coaching, right? Maybe have some hard feelings about coaches. And they, but for you, like you said, you found triathlon and, and you said you love coaching. When did you decide that um, you wanted to jump into the coaching ranks and specifically coach young men and women? Yeah. Um, you know, when I, uh, when I moved to Oregon back in um, 1999, I, I decided to get back into what I loved, and that was health and fitness and sports. And um, I had some other jobs in my career, RV sales rep and, and a youth pastor. And so I got a job at a health club and, and was working as a personal trainer again. Um, and that was when I, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to come volunteer as a track coach at one of the local high schools. Um, and I was intimidated to begin with. It was like, I, you know, I didn't run track. So can I do this? And, and I'd learned about, about running, obviously, from college on. But um, that was when I first got started. And then I, I also coached, you know, some youth rec soccer and youth rec baseball and um, just really found my passion for helping young men and women um, and realized how much I love that and, and the ability to have an impact um, and reach people's lives and um, all of that. It, it was pretty phenomenal. So. I would say, you know, early 2000 was when it all started. Now, let's kind of walk through your coaching timeline here. Very impressive. Um, in Bend, Oregon, you spent 13 seasons on the coaching staff at Bend High School um, in the last six years as the head coach. Now, uh, the list of, of accomplishments here is is very impressive. In your final three years, the team finished uh, runner-up at the 5A state championships. Um and you had uh, multiple individual state champions in the 100, the 800, the 4 by 100 relay, the pole vault. I mean, just championships and accomplishments up and down. What was that 13 years like in Bend? And, and what did you learn as you gained experience from a coach? What did you learn on, on how to coach track and field? Um, you know, the 13 years stuff were, were awesome. Um, you know, and in all honesty, um, if I could have made a, a living – full-time salary as a high school coach at Bend High, I'd probably still be there because um, I absolutely loved it. I loved coaching high school kids. I loved the impact I could make there. Um, had a great staff, great support system, all of that. Um, so, yeah, 
it was awesome. Uh, and I was very fortunate to have a lot of good coaches around me. Um, you know, I, I think my success is um, due in large part to finding people smarter than myself and surrounding them around me. Um, hiring good staff, people that know this sport better than I do. Um, you know, I had a pole vault coach that is, has been doing this for 50 years um, and white haired, sit on a bucket, and he knew it like the back of his hand. Um, and same thing with the hurdles coach and jumps coach and, and just good people. And, and I've always viewed my role as the head coach is, um, you know, I'm here to build relationships. Um, and I think that's one of the things I learned the most over the last 13 years that coaching is just about relationships. Um, and that's why I'm not a big one to focus on results because the kids are never going to remember what they ran in the 400. Um, they might not even remember what place they finished in the 400 at college or high school or whatever, but they are going to remember the friends, the experience, um, and, and the coaches that helped touch their lives and, and that believed in them, um, that encouraged them, challenged them to be better. Um, on and off the track, uh, you know, so that was, um, those were the big takeaways that I learned, you know, in those 13 years. And yeah, I went through, you know, lots of certifications and I've gone to track academies and, um, you know, just finishing up my master's in coaching and, you know, so yeah, there's some good technical stuff that I've learned. Um, but honestly, it doesn't matter how much technical stuff, you know, um, if you can't get your kids to buy into working hard and to doing their best. Um, and the pushing themselves through the disappointments and the challenges, you're never going to be a successful coach. So <clears throat> I think that's what, um, for me, understanding that uh, you get these kids to believe in the potential that they all have, um, that's when you're going to have a, a championship program. Um, and then you, you figure out the technical piece. <laughs> I think you make an important point about the relationships especially in this pandemic right it just shows that life is bigger than sports and and life beyond particularly college sports will go on and a lot of kids are going to are at least going to remember especially more if their coach treated them poorly than what they ran in a certain event or how they placed you know in basketball or football or whatever it may be so as you mentioned very important for those relationships and um, for you after 13 years you end up heading over to Ark in to Rogers Arkansas I become the director of track and field and cross country, uh, pretty much the same title you have here. I'm at Providential Classical Christian Academy. Um, in that one year alone, I mean, the, the list is impressive. 10 individual state champions, team members setting 28 personal records at state competition. I mean, you were also the director of strength and conditioning coach. An impressive list in, in one year. What was that one year like for you at uh, Providential Classical Christian Academy? Um, you know, it was great. It, it was a challenge. Um, the first time I coached at a private school like that, um, we had no facilities. Um, like I literally mowed a, a, a grass track in a field. Um, we, uh, we created a jumped runway, um, out of, you know, we built it plywood. And, um, so, you know, there's a lot of ad adversity and, and previous coaches there kind of used that as an excuse that, yeah, we, we can't really have a decent program. Um, and I took it as a challenge and instead was like, no, we can. Um, and I, again, went in there and just tried to build relationships with those kids and encourage them to, to be their best and challenge them to do better and um, push them harder than they've been pushed before. Um, and the results, you know, as you ran off there, listed off there, we had some good results. Um, I don't think I did anything technically or like from a coaching standpoint any different than any, any other coach. Um, but I, I came in and I believed in those kids and I pushed them and challenged them. And 
and I set an expectation, um, which I try to do with all my athletes. I, I set incredibly high expectations because um, I find when I do that, 90% of the time they get pretty darn close to them. Um, so yeah, it, it was awesome. Like, you know, we, uh, I was coach of junior high and high school there. Um, so we had, you know, state championships, at boys and girls, junior high and boys and girls high school. First time ever that they swept all of that. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty cool uh, experience and it was my first state championship as a high school coach. Um, so that was, that was kind of a nice cap. Um, yeah, it was good experience, um, for sure. And, and great kids and, um, just a good lesson in being able to overcome adversity again you know you don't have to have um, the finest facilities out there to still have a great program was that a case of the talent was there in that program and, and with those kids it was somebody needed to get in there and, and believe in them like you said show that it doesn't matter we could be running on the moon right now you know there's there's still ways to to be a successful program and, and reach those results yeah for sure and, and honestly some of it wasn't even great talent like i i've coached kids that have decent talent to state championships and they've beaten kids that had phenomenal talent that just didn't work as hard or had bad attitudes so with those kids a lot of it it was just believing in them you know and challenging and pushing them and um you know the ones that won individual state championships yeah they were talented but they they learned to push through pain you know you and i talked about um before we got on air about being uncomfortable with being comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and they hadn't done that before a lot of these kids hadn't experienced that so I, I pushed them and challenged them to do that um and then from the the team standpoint winning the state title there were a lot of seconds and thirds and fifths and sixths and um just valuing those as well um you know generally if you don't win oftentimes kids don't feel like they're valued um and my kids if you finish sixth or seventh or eighth I'm going to love you and encourage you and, and hug you just as much as a kid that wins because your points are going to help us win those state titles. Um, so I think, again, it was a culture and it was a mindset that I tried to, to build and implement. And I think that was the biggest change and the biggest thing that helped us succeed. Do you think, again, track and, and field particularly are such a different breed of sport in terms of, as you mentioned, a kid finishing fifth or sixth is very important because if they had finished, seventh, eighth, or ninth, or, you know, last, that they wouldn't have as many points sort of state title. Do you think it helps that even a, a fourth and fifth place finish, you know, you can help those kids say, hey, you might not have won the event, but that could be the, the two points or the one point that we need to get over the hump. I mean, do you think that helps a lot of athletes in most cases, especially at the high school level? Yeah, absolutely. And I think even at the college level, and it's a conversation I've had with, with our team here at OUAZ, um, that I value that more than anything. I, like I ask kids all the time, would you rather be a part of a championship team or a team of champions? Um, and to me, the answer is a championship team and a championship team. You might not have any individual champions, but you've got a lot of fourth and fifths um, and you have depth and you've got kids that are grinding and getting um, out those eighth place finishes to get a point because often it can come down to one point. Um, so, you know, like a great example, the, the year after I left Ben High, um, a lot of the same kids were there. We didn't lose too many of the graduation when I left. Um, and we'd finished second to perennial powerhouse and a national program, Summit High School, our crosstown rivals. Each year we got a little bit closer on the team standings. Well, the year after I left, they missed out on beating Summit High by three points. Um, and there were a couple of kids, kids that I knew that were there when I coached them that didn't have their best days. 
Um, and the, the coach that succeeded me doesn't have the same kind of mindset of let's value those eighth place finishes. Let's, and I honestly believe that was the difference for them. I think had we been able to maintain that same kind of mindset, they would have won the state championship. Um, so yeah, those, those fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth place finishes are every bit as valuable, if not more so, um, to helping the team succeed. Yeah, I think track is one of those sports, especially at the college and the high school level, where, you know, like you said, it's it's not like basketball where somebody who contributes two points might be seen as, you know, somebody who, who didn't participate or, or, you know, was invisible, for lack of a better term, on the floor. Whereas, you know, somebody who contributes two points with, for an eighth-place finish or one point for an eighth-place finish is very valuable in, in terms of trying to win that state championship. And for you, um, after one year, it's made official on August 12, 2019, that you were named the head coach of OUAZ track and field and the cross country programs. When did you first hear about OUAZ and, and what were your first thoughts of the school? Um, yeah, so I um, just responded to an ad on uh, one of the coaching websites. Um, and uh, I'd been kind of looking for a, a, a college job for a few years, honestly. Um, but because I wasn't a college athlete, because I hadn't gotten any college coaching experience, it was one of those where, yeah, we can't hire you because you don't have college coaching experience. But I couldn't get college coaching experience because nobody hired me. But, <laughs> um, but I kept applying. It was persistent. Um, and ironically, I got a couple calls at the same time, and, and one of them was from um, our athletic directors here at OUAZ and um, had a great, great conversation initially with them. Um, and that was the first time, I think, after that initial conversation that I actually looked into Ottawa University to learn a little bit more about it. Um, I, I knew it was uh, an NAIA school, and I knew it was Arizona, and that was pretty much all I knew when I applied. Um, but then after talking with, uh, with Brittany Keller and, and Josh Fisher, um, just great conversations, instantly hit it off. Um, and then within a couple hours of that phone call, they called me back and said, yeah, we, we want to get you out here. Um, so the process happened pretty quick. And, and when I came out and flew out for the interview, I was just very impressed, impressed with the leadership, impressed with the vision. Um, at that time, our, our three new buildings um, were under construction and just seeing that, you know, they were planning for the future. They wanted to grow. Um, they were very clear that the program had gone through three other coaches. Um, so I was, I was coming into a program that needed some stability and needed some guidance. And that was actually appealing to me. I was excited about that to kind of come in and build this program the way I want. Um, so, you know, from there it was kind of fast tracked um, and uh, met with, uh, with Mr. Steele, Kevin Steele, our, our head AD and great, great, like three hour conversation with him. And um, that kind of sealed the deal. Um, you know, number one, being a Christian university, um, the NAIA philosophy and, and what that organization is all about really fit with who I am as a coach and how I want to run this program. And um, yeah, all the pieces kind of came together and um, I couldn't wait, you know, to hear after my interview and, and when they called with the, the invitation to join the team and join the, the school, I was thrilled. Well, I know we're happy to have you here and, and looking forward to what's hoping and shaping up to be um, a great track and field program. And you had lived on the West coast, obviously living in Bend, Oregon. And, but when you came in for your interview and your visit, was that the first time you had ever been to Arizona? No, I, uh, when I was working in the RV business, I actually covered kind of the Western half of the country. So I, I'd traveled quite a bit. Uh, I've been fortunate to be in all 50 States of our nation. Um, so I'd been here before actually looked at Northern Arizona to go to college myself. Um, 
so yeah, I, I was familiar with it. Um, I knew it was hot in Phoenix, <laughs> um, but I also knew that, uh, you know, I love the mountains. I'm a West Coast kid, even though I was, uh, I spent a good part of my youth on the East Coast. Um, I like being out here in the West. So um, I was somewhat familiar and not exactly sure what it was going to be like to live in the desert in 110, 115 degree heat, but it actually hasn't been that bad. We've enjoyed our summer here so far. Yeah, usually I think when people think mountainous areas in the United States, they're thinking Denver and Northern Arizona, cooler places, but we got mountains here, but not a lot of uh, cool temperatures to go along with it. So I remember uh, talking to Adam Hepker in one of the early episodes, he told his wife to get back in the car when they stepped outside. So uh, we're glad we're glad you stayed and, and you already knew what to expect when coming here. So, um, I mean, you had year one in the books, um, really growing in the cross country, the track and field for both men's and women's indoor and outdoor. I mean, again, basically running six programs at once. For you, this upcoming year, it's going to be a little bit different, obviously, with the pandemic and, you know, whatever decisions will be made in terms of how fall sports will go and subsequently spring sports. But as you're gearing up, what are your expectations and, and what do you want to see out of your team and your athletes to feel like, okay, we're making another step in the right direction as, as we move forward to the ultimate goals we want to reach? Yeah, um, you know, I think um, the two things that I'm hoping to see are kind of um, – they're hard to measure, but it's, uh, so the culture is the, the big thing. Um, like I came in last year and there wasn't a, a good team culture. Understandable with all the, the instability in the program. Um, they didn't trust that I was going to be here more than three or four months. Um, so having some stability and the athletes coming and, um, for lack of a better phrase, having each other's back, um, you know, knowing that we're there and we're going to care and support about each other no matter our results. Um, you know, that's first and foremost is to get that kind of culture. And then within that is just mental toughness to work hard and to give it our best and to not be focused so much on results, but to show up every day with the mindset that I'm here and I'm going to give it a hundred percent and I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to make my team better. It's not about me as an athlete. It's not about what I want to achieve. It's how do we make this team better? Uh, and if everybody shows up with that mindset and that attitude, they'll all get better. Uh, individually and then collectively as a team. So, um, you know, if I can see that and if I can see that kind of the mindset and, and where kids are excited to come to practice um, and when there's an energy there when we show up in the morning and they're excited to see each other and they're, they're pumped to push hard and um, that's step one. Um, as I've been recruiting, you know, I tell kids, I don't care what your times are. I'm not recruiting times. I'm not recruiting marks. I'm recruiting people. I want leaders. I want good work ethic. I want good character. I want integrity. I want good, strong, solid, um, you know, people to be, help me grow this program. Um, but then I was tell them, I want to win a national championship. I've got a, a five-year goal to win an NAI national championship uh, as a team. Hopefully we'll have some individuals along the way and maybe that happens sooner, but um, I'm competitive as the next guy, um, but I want to do it the right way. And I want to do it because we care about each other. Um, and because I care about them and, and my athletes and my coaches. And um, so that's what I want to see this year moving forward. Uh, and given that it's part of this pandemic and, and there's so much uncertainty and um, it's going to be a challenge, but in some ways I think it might help um, because we may not have meets right away to focus on. We just focus on building that team and, and working hard together and, um, you know, kind of rising together through this, this uncertain time. Um, one of my favorite quotes is we rise by lifting others. So 
getting our team to to have that mindset where we're just going to come together and be stronger together. Yeah, I don't think your five-year goal for an NAIA national championship as a team is too far off. I mean, the year before you got here, there was individual NCCAA national championship champions. This year, an NAIA All-American. So it just seems each year the building blocks are, are getting up and hopefully we'll see that team national championship uh, along with or you have, have some great trophies out in the front lobby there from football and, and beach volleyball and men's volleyball and hoping to see one of those from track in the near future. So, Kyle, thank you for your time. Um, is there any final thoughts or any, you know, final things you want to say to the OUAZ fans and, and those supporting uh, Spirit Athletics? Yeah, um, you know, just that I feel incredibly blessed to be a part of this team. Um, you know, I, I haven't gotten to know my fellow coaches and, and all the, the staff incredibly well um over the last 11 months but i do see the the leadership and the commitment on our staff to our students and to our athletes and um and just being a christ-centered university where we're pushing um, young men and women to to know christ and to to you know have this great athletic experience and um it's a, it's a great spot you know Ottawa university is not um, on everybody's radar, it's not on everybody's map of who we are, but um, I think that's going to change because what I see, there's some really, really good things going on here, and I'm just blessed uh, to be a part of it. Yeah, I think the radar is going to show up, uh, show you guys as a pretty big blip here in the near future. So, Kyle, thank you so much for your time again, and hopefully we're talking to you soon. Yeah, sounds good, Seth. Thanks for having me.